0: Today we're getting into part three of our message series, Church Myths, and I want to just quickly summarize for you the introduction to this series. Maybe you weren't here, it's been a while, but summarize the introduction to the series and kind of the heart around what we're doing. So we are aware, obviously, that there are many people who have a wrong view or dysfunctional view of what church is. Would you agree with that? I mean, many situations, many cases, people think they know what church is, but because of a past hurt or a past wound, a bad experience, some sort of an abuse of power, whatever it might be, there's been a really bad wound that set in, and so this false way of thinking or bad view of the church sets in, and what we're trying to say is we get it, we, we understand that people have arrived at these places because of things that have justified where they are, things that have happened. But nonetheless, we want to help people overcome and get past some of their wrong and bad thinking about church, about the family of God, about the body of Christ, about the bride of Christ, Because scriptures are clear, unless we really understand our role and our place in the local church, in the body of Christ, that we'll never really flourish in our calling the way God intends for us to. That there's this missing element. Yeah, we love Jesus, and yeah, we're going to heaven and all this, but I have no part in the church. There's this missing element that God has designed for us to have and live with that contributes to our calling, that adds to our maturation process in the Lord. It says in the Psalms, it says that those who are planted in the, courts of, in the house of our God will flourish in the, in the courts of the Lord. You say, I want to flourish. I want to thrive. I want to advance into all of the calling that God has for me. Absolutely, we want that. Well, it's clear, there's a condition attached to that statement in that scripture. He says, you got to get planted in the house of god if you want to flourish we can't have oh this is We, we can't have a remote experience with church you understand we can't be separated and isolated from the body of christ and really still thrive in all that god has for us that's why we're doing so much during all these times and conditions to make sure our online campus is being expanded is being built up more robust putting tons of time, energy, money into that behind the scenes because we want to continue to reach more and more people in whatever way we possibly can. But we understand that being connected and being a part of the body of Christ is key. It's instrumental in us being raised up to be all that God has for us. And we say here all the time, our vision is to raise up game changers. We want to raise people up. In the purpose and calling that God has for their lives. Help them discover that. Wow, the creator of the universe has a plan for me. A calling on my life. Whoa, how can I live for anything else now? We want to empower them and mobilize them. What are your gifts? What are your passions? How can we equip you for ministry, mobilize you, empower you to make an impact through that in this world today? We want to raise people up into that kind of life. That's why that X is on the end of our name, Life Church X. It's represent a representation of X factor. What's X factor, Paul? It's a change agent in a given situation that influences the outcome more than anything else. Can I ask you something? Should that not be the church? Should that not be the church? And we are the church. Amen. And so we want to help people just kind of travel through some of these common misconceptions that have often been created by hurts, wounds, bad experiences, let me say it this way, false representations of the authentic church. How many of you know, like, when you get the real thing, the authentic thing, you're you're ruined from an artificial experience after that? Right? I mean, you can eat box dinners your whole life and think they're pretty good. But you get one good home cooked meal with fresh ingredients, all the trimming and love that goes into it, you're ruined for box dinners for the rest of your life after that. I mean, from now on, you're going to know, I don't care if they blindfold you, you're gonna know if you take a bite of a box dinner. Am I right? Because you've tasted the real thing. And when you've tasted the real thing, it's very easy to spot a counterfeit or a phony after that. What am I saying? I'm saying when the church is working properly, when God's people are functioning as we are intended to, and people have an experience with the real relationship with Christ and the authentic expression of his church it's contagious undeniable totally attractional and they'll never want a phony or a fake after that but too many people have never had anything but box dinners <laughs> and we're saying that many obstacles bad ways of thinking false belief systems about how we relate to church the local church and the body of Christ many false belief systems just frankly, have to be toppled. They just have to be brought down, deconstructed, and we need to reestablish and reconstruct a foundation of good theology according to truth of Scripture about what does God say about His bride and about the relationship and place we have there. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's get into it. Myth number five is where we are to start off today. And myth number five is that church is a building. Church is a building. Now, there's this really remarkable thing that took place, uh, maybe a little off on this, but probably through like the 50s, 60s, all the way up to the early 2000s, where there was um, major development advancement in the church in the United States where lots of buildings were erected and inherited, and there's just a lot of expansion In the area of physical resources and structures in the church, which praise God is a great thing God was resourcing his people to do the work that he had called us to do But just like anything, we're people, right? And we could swing too hard one way or another way in many things And so ultimately what began to set in kind of a pervading mentality that started to happen in the church Is that people began to get attached to buildings, they began to get attached to the physical structures, and it began to impede spirit-led movement in vision. And and when things would happen, now praise God, I've you know been a part of a church plant. We just early on 2016 we launched. I haven't seen a lot of these things myself. But I've heard a lot of stories where many like congregations that have grown old together and had buildings and things for a long time that they become very attached to, and then conversation about the future vision and movement of the church that god wants to lead them into we're going to sell a building build a new building god forbid paint the building (laughs) i mean little things right and people freak out like that's heresy how could you possibly paint the walls praise god esther sue she contributed to those walls and that paint back in 48 and i mean how could you do that you know i'm having fun but you know what i'm saying People become really, really attached to physical structures. And I want to tell you this. The church is not a building. The church is not a building. The church is a spiritual living organism. And that's beautiful. It is alive all the time. If we think of church, if we're limited or we're drifting in our perspective of like church is building... We'll get caught up in this, we won't even know it, and we'll get caught up in this thinking like, we're going to turn the lights off and close things down today when we leave, and the offices are closed on Monday. So if you drove by here, you dare you might say, the church is closed. Church ain't happening. Or maybe people that have habitually over their life for decades, I go to church in the building on Sundays, and I leave the building on Sundays, and when I'm not in the building, then church ain't happening. Well, if the church is alive If it's a living organism, then it's always moving, and it's always happening and going on. Does that make sense? And we could get too attached to these buildings and physical structures and miss completely that God and his church are in us, and we are the work that never sleeps in and through his power that he wants to do in our communities. God's never sleeping, he's never resting, and he's never closed for business. (laughs) <laughs> you understand that? Praise God! It's it's a spiritual living organism. Buildings are resources, things that advance the vision that God has for His people. Listen, I admit I was super thrilled when we got this building when we planted in 2016. Just the fact we had place to rent, I was a I was ecstatic. Then a year later in 17, whenever an opportunity opened for us to buy this building, ecstatic on another level once again and celebrate it. And we will celebrate more buildings, more resources in the future. It's going to continue to happen. But here's what I'm saying. This church is a spiritual living organism that's always moving and advancing and God's purposes will be fulfilled. So if he says go here or he says go there, if we're too attached to a building in a place, we may miss where he wants to take us. He's moving and he's going and he's doing major things and if we get too attached to a physical structure, we may miss or be too grounded in something when God wants to move us on to something else. I don't ever want to be found in that place. Listen, last year, whenever we were sensing the Lord speak to us about multiplication and multi-site was getting ready to happen, we've known from the beginning that that was part of our vision But and, and, and multiplying, and, but God began to speak last year, multi-site expansion campuses and all that. Obviously, you know we have Jerseyville campus now, but this was before any of that came about, and we were praying and we were kind of just kicking the dust on some things. We're looking at a St. Louis campus possibly because we have a third of our congregation in Waterloo comes from St. Louis. So we're just, what's God doing? What's he up to? Let's just see. And so we're going through this process and we came across this building that, you know, for a building's sake, it it was just great. It was perfect. It's perfect location, perfect spot. I mean, all these things. And I was talking a lot. Our leadership team was talking a lot with Gateway. We're a part of Gateway Network under Pastor Robert Morris. Just an incredible relationship that we were able to have there, and they were speaking to us about, you know, helping us work through this vision and what we were going to do. And I remember one day, Pastor Guy I was having a conversation with Pastor David from Gateway. Many of you have known, have heard him. He's been here. He's preached. He'll be here again at some point. But. I was talking to pastor david and i was so excited about this building i'm just look i'm a little embarrassed to tell you this but i'm just being real with you because i want you to see the point i was all excited about this building i'm thinking yeah this is great this is you know this is what god's up to and so i'm talking to pastor david i'm like he's just going to be excited it's this great building and i'm telling him about it and after i'm done going on and on and on it's just like quiet on the other end of the line well surely he didn't hear me you know (laughs) Or maybe I dropped the call. No, nope, he's there, he's there. And he says, uh, he says, Matt, can I challenge you with something? Sure. <laughs> you know how that goes, right? He says, well, I just, I just want to challenge you with something. And praise God that he corrected my thinking on this. He says, a building is not a vision. A, a building is a resource. People are a vision. He says, what is God speaking to you about the lost people of that community? What is God saying to you about the people that you're going to raise up and send out and empower for their works and their calling that God's created them for? That's a vision. And if you follow that vision that that revolves around people and God's children, then guess what? He'll give you any building you need and any location you need it, and he'll give you all the resources to back it up. Hey, thanks. (laughs) But he was so right. A building is not a vision. A building is a resource that advances what God is doing. And in many cases, people can get this false view of like, when I'm here in the building, then that's when God is working in my life. But when I'm out of this building, like, church is closed. No, it's very much alive, and you're very much a part of it. And I hope that you know that and that you're functioning that way. A couple weeks ago, UPS driver shows up at the house. He's banging on the door frantically. He looks very disturbed, worried, all distraught. Banging, banging, banging. I come running to the door. What the heck is going on, you know? Fling the door open. He sees me and he's just a sigh of relief all of a sudden over his face. He says, oh, thank God. I'm like, What? What's going on? He's like, I was so worried about you guys. What? He's like, it's been like two or three days. I have not delivered a single package to your wife from Amazon. And I was just really concerned that something happened to you guys. there's a sign of life here you see he was interested in what was happening on the inside once he knew there was life on the inside he knew things were okay it has nothing to do with the four walls it has everything to do with what happens in here it's not about what the place looks like on the outside listen to me it's about what fills the place about what fills the place and the Bible has been distinctly clear from beginning to end that there have been times where buildings were important okay hear me the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to erect in the wilderness and until the temple was built that was their building structure and then the temple was built under Solomon those two buildings were incredibly important but they were only important for one reason. It was because of what was in there. And what was in there was the presence of God. Where the Ark of the Covenant was, it was where the glory the, sh- the glory rested behind the Holy of Holies and the curtain and the veil that separated. That's why those buildings were important. Now, as we know, we've talked about in many cases here that when Jesus did the finishing work that he did on the cross and gave up his spirit that that veil in that temple was ripped from top to bottom because of the massive earthquake that occurred. You say, well, big deal, an earthquake happened. Well, it was about 60 feet tall and about 5 or 6 feet thick, according to experts. So that's almost impossible. So God ripped that veil from top to bottom. Why? Because he was communicating a message. The presence, listen, the dwelling place conditions have just changed. You understand that? That was the dwelling place of God. Before. He said the conditions of the dwelling place have changed. And we look at now what is a dwelling place? What is the temple? Your bodies. We are temples. And the spirit and presence of God that lives in us, guess what? That's the dwelling place. But the apostle Paul takes it even a step further. I love this. He says, it's about your temple and it's about what's happening in you. Is there life in you? Or is it a dwelling place for the presence of God? But he takes it a step further. And he says that all of us, we're supposed to be a part of the church, are are like members of a building, are like stones and pieces of a building being fit together. And he he describes a dwelling place for God at another level. Listen to this Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. He says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. But fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built. Now listen to the language about a building, but he's speaking about a spiritual application, right? He's talking figuratively. You've been built on a foundation of the apostles, prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Cornerstone is what holds up a building. It's what undergirds it. If it's not solid, strong and big enough, it all comes down anyway. Doesn't matter how good the walls look says, that's Jesus. That's the bottom of this spiritual entity that I'm talking about. He's the foundation. And you are the whole building, verse 21, being fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together, get this, for a dwelling place in God. So we are a dwelling place in our bodies as temples, but there's another picture he gives here of this where he says all of us, our temples, our bodies, we become like members or stones in a bigger building. And that bigger building is the church. And when we become interconnected and interlocked and truly take our place in the church and in the body of Christ, it says we come together together. And we contend for the presence and power of God. And then guess what? When we gather corporately, we become a dwelling place. The presence of God fills and invades our atmosphere in another kind of way. Another kind of glory that is here when we come together, that we sit under, and then we take that out into the streets with us, and we minister from a place of overflow. Not from an empty cup, from a cup that's full and overflowing. Do you understand that? And so we be, the, the church is a dwelling place for the presence of God. That's, that's what makes it special. Let me tell you something. There's hundreds, thousands probably of buildings right here in Waterloo. Millions across the United States and beyond the world, who knows? But my question would be, how many dwelling places are there? How many places are there where the presence of God resides inhabits and dwells i just announce to you gratefully humbly and full of great appreciation that the presence of god is here in this house it's here and i take that so seriously we contend for that i mean i feel like moses when he said lord if your presence doesn't go with us into the Promised Land. Well, then just keep us in the desert with you. We don't want to go. Like wherever the presence is, that's to me the dwelling. That's what it's about. It it pleases me so much when people come here and they're new and first experience and some of them that you know very unfamiliar with church or worship or anything like that. I even mean, had a lady one time. She said, and I've heard stuff like this many times, but she's. I talked to her afterwards, and she just was like confused, and she's kind of like, well, I. I, uh, I, I think m- maybe I felt God. Is that weird? That's serious? And I was like, no, that's not weird at all. And even some people who are familiar with the presence of God, you know, tasted of the real thing, right, know it whenever it's there. And they've come here, God's brought them, whatever different reasons, and they come and say things like, I felt it whenever I was walking through the doors. I felt it right out there as I was even coming in the building. I could sense the presence of God was just all over this place. And I just want to tell you something that that is meant to be an overflow into our homes and into our communities. You know, the spiritual climate of a town or an environment, a community can be so thick and saturated with the presence of God that it feels tangible like that everywhere you go. I'm not saying we see that now, but I'm just telling you that there is many accounts through history of that kind of spiritual climate and condition throughout regions and communities in our land. I'm contending to see that happen right here in this region. Amen. So myth number five was that the church is a building. Myth number six, you're going to love this one. Church is for perfect people. I'm out. <laughs> Church is for perfect people. Well, if that would be the case, I hate to break it to you, but there'd be nobody here. (laughs) I mean, Pastor Guy's pretty close, right? He is, but (laughs) he's pretty close. (laughs) But none of us are perfect. We know that. I hope you know that. (laughs) And there are a lot of misconceptions, bad views of people in our communities and around us, outside the church, that want nothing to do with church because they think you got to be perfect to go. Now, some just have a critical spirit. I get it. I remember when Katie and I were on fire for the Lord and first came to growing and living for Jesus, You know, that we were making all these changes in our lives. And I, I remember some of the people we associated with and friends we hung out with, because we were changing and not doing things we used to do. I remember them saying things like, well, you just think you're too good for us. No, I, I don't think that at all. I never could convince them of that. And so I just want to encourage you that you, you have to release people to feel the way they're going to feel when God's doing what he's doing in your life. But they just had a critical spirit about that. Yeah, so some people use that as a rationalization to justify maybe some condi- convictions that they're already struggling with. Okay, good. Let them let be convicted. But there are other cases, unfortunately, and this just just drives me nuts when I hear stories like this, but it is what it is. There are other cases where people have a view like this church is for perfect people because self-righteous people in the church have given them that impression. They've tainted that. And when that happens, listen, self-righteousness rampant in the church, I can think a few things that affect negatively the advancement of the kingdom of God through God's people more than that. It just flat stinks. It just flat stinks. And people can see and think, well, i, I got to get my act together. i, I got to get to a certain point. I mean, I'm not ready for church, you know, because i got all these problems going on. i got all these things in my life. When I take care of all that, then I can step foot in a church. I mean, and here's the irony, I guess it makes sense, the strategy of the enemy, it's pretty cunning and deceitful, but you've got to have your place in the body of Christ and the spirit of God moving and flowing through you and empowering you before you can ever get your act together. <laughs> you ain't going to get your act together, I had to break it to you until you have that. And so then you think, well, I can't go because I can't get my act together. We well, can't get your act together because you're not a part of the body of Christ and you're not growing with the spirit of God. Well, I... Uh, So you see why we got to topple that view. we got to help people break that down and see. Listen to me. This word right here that I live by, here's what it tells me. It says that none are righteous, no, not one. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says that my righteousness is like filthy rags. That's what this word tells me about my condition. The power of the gospel. Has never been more real and more released in our lives than the moment we discover Our brokenness and desperation for a savior We discover that and we open our heart to that The power of the gospel invades our lives and it just continues to empower our lives from that point on When we discover our brokenness and our desperation for a savior, but can I just appeal to you? Please never forget that Please never forget that because it never changes our brokenness and desperation for a savior. And when we realize that and we live according to that, guess what? We can begin to see people the way that God sees them. All of us broken, messed up, and in need of a savior. And when we do, we become inclusive, not exclusive. Does that make sense? That's what the church is. We're, it, is it Is it a hospital for the sick, for the broken? Or is it supposed to be club fed for the spiritual elite? Right? That's not the picture that Jesus set forth. And I'm just telling you, if that's the picture that's being displayed, it flat stinks. And they're getting an artificial experience. And they need to go somewhere and get the real thing. Because church is not for perfect people. I remember... The first year we planted this church, we were praying intently, Katie and I and our leaders, and praying intently, God, send us people who are far from you. Send us people who are hurting, who are broken. We want to help break the chains of bondage, help set the captives free, addictions and all sorts of things that are binding up people's lives. God, would you send people to us like that? And God did that. A, a demonstration to me of when we pray fervently and stay in a place of prayer until God moves, it happens because he brought all of those people. And it's that first year and we're seeing some growth, but we still weren't real big, you know, probably weren't more than 100 people. And I remember at the time that when people would leave, did you know people leave churches? It happens actually, it's crazy, they leave. When people would leave, I would lose a lot of sleep over. I would take it real personal, and I'd even get sick to my stomach in some cases about it, and I remember that there was this couple, they'd been coming for, I don't know, two or three months, and I liked them, I thought they were a really nice couple, and young couple, and kids, and they decided to leave, and when they left, they didn't tell me this, but they told some people that they were really close with, who then told me, you know, so what it's worth but this is what they said they said we really you know we like pastor Matt and everything but we feel like when we're coming to church that we're coming to an addiction recovery center and I thought again I was Took it hard when people left, right? I mean, God's worked on me, and I know now it happens. It just does. When we're focused on what God's called us to do, some come, some leave, some stay. It's all up to him. But at the time, when these things were really hard for me, I remember hearing that, and I remember actually kind of celebrating. Not, not because they were leaving. I didn't want them to leave. But because of the reason that they were leaving. And I thought to myself, praise God, that's exactly what we asked him for. And that's exactly what we want to see happen. So that people can come in here with all different kinds of brokenness and baggage and bondages and everything else. And all can experience freedom and liberty available through the Spirit of God. And all can be raised up strong to have a purpose and a destiny fulfilled. Because I'll tell you something, that addict... That person that's caught up in all kinds of addictions, guess what? They've got a purpose too. They've got a destiny as well that God's created them for. They need to be loosed from the bondages so that they can experience freedom and walk in that. And so, no, church is not for perfect people. Listen to this parable that Jesus told. Luke chapter 18. Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves That they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself and he said, God, thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector over here. I don't even know why he's in here with me. No, I didn't say, I'm adding that, but you know what I'm saying. Verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off, he would not even as much raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Praise God, spiritual truth all throughout Scripture. Puff yourself up, boom, you're coming down. Humble yourself before God, guess what? he raise you up. And so you have this Pharisee. Now listen, we see clearly, he's not an adulterer. He's not a thief. I mean, if it were about works and good deeds, the dude's doing pretty good based on what we see. But Jesus is emphatically clear. He rebukes the conduct of that man in his parable. He says, this other guy, the sinner that understands his need for forgiveness and mercy, he's the one that's justified, not the other guy. And I'm praying, God, let me be found like the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Let me never forget my desperation for you and for your forgiveness and for your mercy. And most importantly, never, let me never forget that I am above no man, God, and that you are above us all. You see, here's what's amazing to me is that the Pharisee, this is what he does. And if we're not careful, this is what happens in a spirit of self-righteousness can set in. Okay, it can. It can set in. People think, oh, that'll never happen to me. Listen, it's the devil. It can happen if we're not on guard. And so the Pharisee, this is what he does. So you say, have I ever done this? The Pharisee looks at the tax collector. He looks at the other man, and he compares himself. And then when he compares himself, he exalts himself above the man. And now he somehow finds value, dignity, and self-worth in that. And that's the seed of self-righteousness right there. A comparison of others. But the tax collector compares himself with no man. he simply sets himself on his knees and on his face. And he compares himself to the only standard that matters, God. And he truly exalts him to the place where he belongs and humbles himself where he belongs. And if we will be mindful of that, I'm not comparing myself with anybody. I'm only comparing myself to the standard that matters. What has Jesus called me to do and how has he called me to live? And that's what matters most. And that's what I am endeavoring for. And in order to grow in that, i got to be on my knees and on my face before him, recognizing my own desperation for him and inability to take one step in that direction without him in my life. And when we live that way, then we begin to see other people the way we need to see them, through the eyes of Jesus. Self-righteousness stinks like you know what. Like, no, what? Tell us. (laughs) But it will drive people away from the church So let me ask you this question, and we'll move on to the next point. Someone comes into church, and clearly evident that they are living a sinful lifestyle. Clearly evident. They come into church, or they're in an environment that you're around. How do you react? Do you cringe, or do you rejoice? That's kind of a test of where we're at in this thing because when people come in and they feel welcome here in that condition, you understand that lady said that about our church, and those people came but they felt welcome and they kept coming. Oh. Does that please me so much? And I want to build a house that feels that way for everybody where they can come in, they can feel welcome and they can want to continue coming because the love of God just overwhelms them through the lives of his people. Self-righteousness, thinking that we are above any man, will sabotage the works of God being able to use us as a vessel and an instrument for him of authentic expression of his church. Myth number seven is that ministry is for spiritual people. Ministry is for spiritual people. Now, first of all, that term spiritual, it's often when it's used, the application of it, I just kind of got like a little... You know, people, oh, they're really spiritual. They go to church all the time, and, you know, they read their Bible. They're a very spiritual person. (laughs) And I think to myself, and I don't normally engage in these debates, you know, because it's like, oh, whatever, but I think to myself, well, see, well, like, I mean, you're a spirit too. Um, We're all spirits actually living inside of bodies, and really, we're spirits having a bodily experience. Nobody's a body sometimes having a spiritual experience. Anyway, never mind doesn't matter. But sometimes people think ministry is for spiritual people. I come to church, but, oh, only, you know, the pastors and a few people, like, they're the ones that do the ministry. Now, in some cases, church leaders have done a poor job at not equipping and raising people up for the works of ministry that God would have them to do. It happens think we got to do it all don't focus on helping other people think it's just easier if I just do it myself And then over time that mentality that culture grows And then the separation between people who are coming and church leadership grows more and more distant And then people look around and think I could never do ministry And then what happens unfortunately Is that that congregation come can become very consumerist minded I'm here to receive Like it's, you know, no contribution. But that's not really the picture of the role a member has in the body of Christ. Yes, you're here to receive. Listen, I pray, I hope, I I pray often and I labor intently so that you can be fed here. I I want you very much to be fed and to be nourished and to be raised up strong. Truly do. So you're here to receive, no question about that. But you also have A contribution to make I just want to make sure you know that you have a contribution to make because every member plays a part and if it's just a one-way street guess what we're all missing out then because you have something to offer that we're not receiving everybody has a deposit to leave in the soil and everybody has nutrients that they withdraw from the soil that's what a community looks like but we can kind of get this view sometimes you know like Church ministry is just for certain people, and then a lot of folks begin to feel unworthy or incapable of getting involved in ministry at any level, and that can be very detrimental to the advancement of the local church. Listen to this in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There's that interlocking again. And then verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, listen, let us use them. Peter says it this way. Each one has received a gift, so minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. All members have a function. Not some, all. He even goes as far, as far as to describe in another place that it's kind of like a body. And he says, on a body, you have a hand, you have a foot, you have an eye, you have an ear, you have all these different parts. He says, every different part has its own distinct Function. In fact, he says God specifically put each part on the body where it's positioned. There's a design to this thing. And where God wants you to be and how he wants to use you and what your gifts contribute. Can you imagine taking your foot, cutting it off, take your hand, cut it off, and stick your foot on your arm, try to pick your nose or scratch your ear? That'd just be weird. Awkward moment. Okay. I <laughs> should have used a different illustration. <laughs> What? what did he just say? Welcome to Live Church X. All right, you never know what you're gonna get. Said something a couple of weeks ago about turtlenecks and circumcision and foreskin. So I, you never know what's gonna happen here. All right. But here's what's beautiful: every member plays a part, has a function, distinctly positioned where it's supposed to be. But listen to this. He says. What good is a foot if it's just a foot? What good is a hand? Like we cut a hand off and throw it on the ground. Everybody, nobody we run up. Get the hand. Oh, we can use that. It's a hand. Get the foot over there rolling around too. Wait, we'll good use of these things. No good. You like that, Jess? That's pretty funny, huh? All right, yeah. She's crying over there. That's great. No, nope, no, nope. no member of the body is. Useful and effective if it's just cut off and severed and isolated and separated. You see, what makes it so useful and so purposeful is that when it's all put together and connected in a body, you see the picture. That's what God says about our role and our place in the body of Christ, in the family of God. He says, Whether you like it or not, you can run from it your whole life if you want to, but you have a purpose and you have gifts. And if you'll let me, I want to use them in my family and in the world. We can accept that, and we can rise into it, or we can run from it our whole lives. But I just believe that if we do and we run from it, we'll never be fully satisfied. We'll never be totally fulfilled. There'll be something missing, and unfortunately, people try to fill that space with too many other dysfunctional things in the world instead of the very one thing that can actually accomplish that for them. Take our place. Take our place. And the last part I want to mention here in this thing is Ephesians chapter 4. It says he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Now listen listen to this very closely. Or, why did he do that? Why did he put some some are pastors some are preachers teachers different positions right they're just offices in the church they're a hand they're a foot they're a member of the body a part why did he do that verse 12 for the equipping of the saints now let's establish this if you're in christ you're a saint just by the language and consistency through scripture that's what that means okay if i'm a believer and christ is in me i'm a saint So he says, we we put leaders in the church, and we have certain positions, and those positions are to help equip the saints, raise them up, raise up game changers, right? Equip them, mobilize them, empower them, help them discover their purpose, their destiny, help them get out there and accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. For the equipping of the saints, and listen, this last part, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ amen so right here if you say i don't have a contribution to make you cannot debate with me scripturally about that for the edification of the body of christ everybody has a role to play and as we do it can say it like this we all get stronger when you do together we all get stronger And we want the church to get stronger and be the influencer and the game changer in our world and communities, right? Well, we can't all stand on the sidelines and cheer everybody on and never take a part in that and think it's going to happen that way. We've got to get involved. I'll make one more statement to you, and it's coming out of this verse right here. And when I say it, you may be like, I'm not sure about that, so just go with me. Here's the statement. You have a ministry. Okay, so you say, well, wait a minute, oh, I'm not a pastor, you know, I'm not a worship leader, I'm not all these things. Listen, you have a ministry. Now, the challenge here is that a lot of times we have misused that word ministry, or we kind of have a bad conception of what that really means. It's, it, it means you're a pastor. Not true. Sometimes use it that way, but that's not what it means. In a whole sense of the word. You see, the word ministry, the church is designed to equip the saints, every believer, for the work of their ministry that God's called them to have. The word ministry in the Greek is a word called dikainio, and it means spirit-empowered service to the Lord. Divinely persuaded action. Isn't that good? So I say again, You have a ministry. You have a work to do. You have a part to play. And we are here to equip the saints. Frankly, every church should be. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. I'll say it another way. We are here to raise up game changers. That's where it all comes from. That's where it all comes from. It's just a current expression of what we believe the Great Commission is. And I hope you see that. I hope you see that you, in fact, do have a part to play. Now, what I do get, and I do understand, and I'll I'll close with this. Because there is a situation, there is a time where this occurs. I do get that sometimes people will come. God will bring them to a church. He's done it here many times. And I consider it such a, a blessing. That God would call our church worthy of this, but he brings people who are broken, who are wounded, and who are hurt, and he brings them to a place that is a dwelling place so that they can heal. So that they can heal. Now, that's not a permanent season. You with me? It's not a permanent season. But it very much can be a season in people's lives. I've had people come to me, and they've been here for a few months, and they'll come to me and they'll say, Pastor, we got to tell you, we're going to be moving on, but we just want you to know that we healed while we were here. They think maybe I'm going to be upset or, you know, and I'm just like, oh, I celebrate that with you. God brings some and some stay and some move on. And I'm leaving that up to him. I'm leaving that up to him. but he'll bring some and they'll heal. and then he'll say, now it's time. Now it's time to get your roots in this soil. Now it's time to take your place in the body. Of Apostle in the book of Corinthians, he concludes all this language about this body and members and taking your place. And he concludes it with this. He says, you should be zealous for this. You should be zealous for gifts and this calling and the things that God wants to use you for. He says, you should be zealous for this. It should be a burning passion in all of our lives to be used by God to walk in our purpose. We don't do it and we aren't motivated by guilt or condemnation. You better do, you better do. No. That's a dysfunctional way to approach it. We are driven <laughs> by a burning sensation that's in our bones that's got to get out. And when it gets unlocked and we get revelation that God has a purpose and the spirit of god unveils it to our spiritual eyes and it takes up residency in our soul i have a plan and a destiny for my life and the creator of the universe has given me gifts and equipped me for things to accomplish in this world how can i live for anything else now how can i live for anything but that which god has called me to i summarize our myths today church is a building i think not i think not it is a dwelling place where the presence of God resides churches for perfect people I think not none of us are perfect none of us are perfect and we must be careful to guard ourselves in our house against a spirit of self righteousness and ministry is for spiritually elite people I think not you have ministry would you stand to your feet with me today and let's worship the king before we go
1: I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over my life I see your promises and fulfillment all over my life all over my life see the cross See the cross, the empty grave. The evidence is in this. All my sin rolled away because of you, oh Jesus. See the cross, the empty grave. The evidence is in this. All my sin rolled away because of you, oh Jesus. see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over my life yeah i see your promises
0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Have you been blessed today? Have you been encouraged today? I pray as you go, that if we're here today, any of us have experienced any of these wrong views and wrong ways of thinking, maybe even come in today with some level of that in some way, that God would break those things down now in your mind and in your life according to listen the truth of his word i'm so thankful that we have the ultimate authority that we can go to and we can hold all things up against and we can sift it we can test it that's why sound doctrine is so important in local churches so that we can look at all things that we question or wonder and we say, what is the truth of scripture? And then when God opens our eyes to his ultimate authority, it will break down any lie, any false view and begin to establish a pillar of truth in our lives. Amen. I pray as you go today that you would go in a spirit of victory, a spirit of victory and of celebration, of triumph, because Jesus triumphed for you. He defeated hell, he defeated the grave, he defeated death. This is not it, it's not over after this life. This is not permanent. There's more and it's glorious beyond this. We have that to look forward to. Go in a spirit of victory, please know that you are in fact above and not beneath. You are very much the head and not the tail. I tell you that no weapon from hell formed against you can prosper. And that if God be for you, please tell me, who can be against you? Go in the peace and favor of God.